Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we're excited to share with you Kateri Anderson Heyman's story of eating disorder recovery. Kateri is a 25-year-old woman from Lauderdale, Minnesota, who now works remotely and lives her dream of traveling the world. After years of struggling with anorexia and binge eating disorder, she has found freedom from the illnesses that once consumed her life. Since she was 17, she has practiced a type of meditation called the Isha Judd system, taught by the Isha Educating for Peace Foundation based in Uruguay and Mexico. She now teaches this method of meditation and supports others on their journey via Zoom as well as in person and takes whatever opportunity to share the tools and insight that transformed her life with others. Thank you so much for joining us, Kateri. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here with you. Excellent. Well, let's just dive in. Let's start by learning a bit about your eating disorders. Tell us what it was like for you to live with anorexia and BED. Miserable. I think that's the only word that describes it. (laughs) It's just straight up miserable. It was like having a gray cloud over my head that never once in my life I could be completely relaxed. It's this constant not feeling like I'm able to live my life fully, this constant impotence of feeling like I can't fully live the way I want to live. Also lonely. I was like the only one I knew or, and not everyone understands that unless you've been for it. It's not as easy as, okay, just change your diet or stop doing that. It's so much more difficult than that. Yeah, I think I think miserable is a can put it in one word. That is, it is so. These are miserable illnesses to have to experience. Absolutely. So when when did your path to eating disorder recovery begin? Take us to the early days of that. Walk us through when you were able to access some help. Think through how that process went. Talk to us a little bit about that path to recovery in the beginning? You know, I think as a little kid, I always struggled with food since young, like I would compulsively eat. And I think that developed to the binge eating disorder. And then because I had binge eating disorder, I had a lot of weight fluctuation, which I would get worked up about and that triggered the anorexia. So I think I struggled with food since I was young. (laughs) from what I can remember, but it definitely got worse in middle school and high school, definitely. And I think I, maybe because I didn't know much about eating disorders, maybe I didn't know much about binge eating disorder and I didn't know anyone with binge eating disorder. It was just like, oh, Kateri eats a lot (laughs) or Kateri stops snacking all the time or me wishing that I could stop snacking every moment I'd walk through the kitchen but I didn't have any context that there was help for this. I just struggled with other things like depression, anxiety, family issues, grieving the death of my mom, my own very low self-esteem. And so I think I found this type of meditation and started practicing and it started helping me with those other things. So I think my recovery started with um, healing those other things first. And as a result, 
the eating disorder symptoms started to lose their power little by little. I think a big part of my compulsive eating was my stuffing emotions. I had so many emotions that were uncomfortable to deal with, anxiety, depression, stress, stuff going on, years of accumulated emotions in my nervous system. And so the first thing would be to go to the food. And so as I started to be able to connect with those emotions and heal those emotions, that intense anxiety and those intense, overly intense compulsions started to lose their power. But it doesn't mean that eating disorder went away completely <laughs> because I feel like thanks to the meditation, the estrogen system that I practice, I was able to heal my depression, my anxiety, my really low self-esteem, my social anxiety. I used to stutter when I talked because I was so insecure and my extreme self-violence in my mind. I was able to heal a lot of that, but the eating disorder continued. It was like I healed so much of that emotion, but the habit of constantly my eating or um, binging or those compulsive behaviors continued. And the eating disorder was actually one of the hardest things to heal. When I was 17, I started practicing meditation and that's what helped me to start my journey of healing. But when I actually started to go to help for eating disorders, I was 20. And so tell us a little bit about how, like, how did you come upon meditation? How did that present itself in your, in your life? And how has your practice with that changed over time? When I was 17, I found a book at the library called Why Walk When You Can Fly by Shijin. And it taught these tools for this type of meditation. Before this, I was, I was going to therapy. I was trying different self-help, self-help, different meditations. And this was definitely by far the most effective and quickest working meditation that I had found. I started seeing impacts immediately. And it was like the deepest and most profound practice that I had found too, because it's, I mean, it incorporates mindfulness and living in the present moment, which helped so much. But in addition to that, it's not just like, okay, do some breaths here now. It's really a really deep cleansing practice. So it cleans basically in our body, whatever is in our nervous system that doesn't vibrate with unconditional love. So all those repressed emotions that are stuck in our cells on a cellular level start to come to the surface. So for example, when I started practicing, I started grieving for the first time the death of my mom when I was a little kid. I started being able to connect with these emotions within me, but in a way that was liberating. Whereas before they were just repressed because they, people, we're not taught as kids how to deal with emotions, how to feel our emotions, how to, how to release them, or how to even know what we're feeling. So we accumulate and we accumulate and we repress and we repress. And then often they come out in different ways through different addictions or rage or resentment. For me, it was eating. And so being able to liberate myself with that was the beginning of being able to liberate myself from my, my compulsive eating. Because before I remember I was in college, I went to a therapist about my eating and I, she was like, this is so much, this is too much, you need to change this. But I had so much emotion bottled up that I didn't even care. It was just a coping mechanism. So for me, it was being able to heal and deal with that first. Then it gave me the freedom to start to work on my eating disorders. 
that all makes a lot of a lot of sense. And you studied, uh, you had the book, but then you studied the meditation. You've traveled to study. Tell us a little bit about that experience with that you had at, at meditation retreat centers, and and now you teach others this method. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So this shit system has completely changed my life. I was like so insecure, had one of the most low self-esteems of anyone I know. And now I feel like I'm a completely other different person. And as I continue to practice, I continue to touch on an experience of appreciation of the present moment, gratitude and acceptance for my life as it is, seeing deeper value in myself and feeling more connected with everyone and everything. So that's why I love it. I love that experience. So I continue to practice. So I've actually spent almost a year and a half in total at their centers in Uruguay and Mexico. But when I was 19, I took a semester off of college because I was so desperate and so miserable. I remembered looking at the mirror and just feeling like I wanted to vomit just because I saw so little value in myself and I disliked myself that much. So I really wanted a change. I was noticing changes with the practice already, but I wanted a quicker change. So I went into their six month program and then stayed an extra month to get training and how to teach this to others. So yeah, that completely changed my life. And that's when I, after that period, that's when I was able to start to focus on my eating disorder recovery because before my eating disorders were the least of my worries because I had so much other suffering going on. And then once I was able to liberate that, then my eating disorders were really what was left. And I was able to work on those after that. It sounds, it sounds as though the meditation was really, as you were on this path to recovery, such a, such an impactful tool and maybe interacted with the, the then the eating disorder treatment you were able to get. Did you see a, a, how did it influence your eating disorder thoughts and behaviors and how did meditation influence that process of recovery as you were doing some of that work that in, in theory was sort of targeted at the eating disorder behaviors? Tell us a little bit about that interplay. Yeah, I actually am super happy to talk about this um, because I feel like the meditation I do gave me two things. One, it helped me recover, I would say, completely from both my eating disorders. And just as importantly, or almost more importantly, and this is the insight and the message and the awareness that I've gained that I would love to share with others. I've been wanting to share this for a long time. I just haven't really gotten the opportunity to do so. And I would love to share this more, but other than recovering fully, what it helped me was to live more gracefully the recovery process. It helped me to live as fully as I possibly could within the recovery process. I remember I was at, um, I was seeing my therapist at the Emily program and she told me, you're the only patient I have that I can say is living fully. I was dealing with my eating disorders, still in recovery, but I was still like, hey, I wanna go to South Africa. So I'm gonna work hard and go to South Africa. Okay, I'm gonna, I struggle with this eating disorder, so I'm still working on it. And yes, I'm subtly miserable on certain parts of the day because of it, because that's just what comes with having an eating disorder but I'm still going to go out with my friends on weekends. I'm still going to have as much fun as I can in my life in the periods of times during the day where I can not focus on that. 
And I would say when I, thanks to the help of the, uh, the meditation practice I do, I remember when I started my eating disorder recovery, it just took over my life. It was overwhelming. It was like 90% of my energy through the day was just consumed with worrying about my eating disorder, my weight, when would be the next binge, how much I needed to eat within the next week and beating myself up constantly for my symptoms, like my own self-violence, torturing myself because I had an eating disorder. And thanks to the meditation I practice and continuing this path of self-love and thanks to the Isha Educating for Peace Foundation, which I'm actually a part of now, we know not only give a seminar, but then we give follow-up support. So free lifetime support. So I was getting support from people from the foundation and they're pointing to me ways in which I could be more loving with myself. And thanks to that, I would say I went from being miserable, my eating disorder worries, consuming 95% of my day to about 5% of my day. So every day my eating disorder was a bit of a struggle, but I could go throughout the most of my day still being a college student enjoying her life. So to before I would sometimes stay in my room on weekends because I was so miserable and couldn't believe that I ate X, Y, and Z so I couldn't go to a party in college. Or I couldn't focus in class because I was worried about my tummy. Or I, my friends would go out and I didn't have the energy because I thought my body looked this way. And so that was the huge difference and also I was able to gain the awareness of my mind. At this point I had, it helped me heal the anorexia symptoms, but here I stayed with just the binge eating disorder. And I was really mentally violent with myself on, I can't believe I ate that much. I can't believe I'm still doing this. When is this ever gonna stop? Whenever am I ever gonna stop? And judging myself for not having the quote unquote discipline according to me, the quote unquote willpower, according to me, the quote unquote maturity, according to me. And that was just constantly mind beating me up. And I was able to change that to be more loving with myself and change the thoughts of worry and the thoughts of self-violence to love and compassion. Be like, okay, Kateri, this is what I'm struggling with right now, but like, I love you and we're going to have fun today. <laughs> Kateri, that's just beautiful. It's, it is such an eloquent description of that experience of, of creating and allowing room for you. And by nature of that allowing room, it sounds like the eating disorder doesn't have as much room. And, and that's, that's a way that some people speak about it. But I, I can just sort of have this beautiful vision that you've given us of that space created for yourself to love yourself. It's beautiful. You know, medita meditation is becoming much more mainstream, right? And at the same time, our culture has sort of depicted it in one stereotypical way, somebody sitting on a mat, cross-legged, having this like totally serene, pleasant experience as they sit on the mat with a beautiful background. How does that compare to your actual experience? Yeah, so there's so many different types of meditations out there. And I can really only speak on the Ishijin system because that's what I practice. I, I guess I did try many different kinds before. And I was somewhere like, you have to concentrate, you need to stay present. And I just struggled with that. 
was like, this is too hard. I, my mind was so awful and violent with myself. It was miserable to be present with myself. So I, but what they should do the system, what I love about it is it's simple and easy. All you have to do is be sitting or lying down in a comfortable position. Um, a few days ago, I was in my hammock or yesterday I was laying on the beach. So it's like, there's no like surgeon place or you don't have to really focus or anything. And in the Ishijid system, the meditation is called unifying. So I'll actually give an example. So I've closed my eyes and all I have to do is just gently put my attention in my heart center, just the center of my chest and, and just gently put my attention there. And some people struggle with doing that. Like sometimes I help people who struggle with doing that by saying, okay, put your attention in your right knee. Can you feel that? Put your attention in your left elbow. Can you feel that? Put your attention in your right foot. Can you feel that? Okay, now put your attention in the center of your chest. And usually people can feel that that way. So I just gently put my attention in the center of the chest. And then I see, think one of the high vibrational phrases based in praise, love, gratitude, and unity. And I think it, for example, the one in unconditional love of self is love creates me in my perfection. And then I release my attention from my heart and then let my mind wander. Past, future, positive, negative, whatever my mind wanders. And then when I remember again, I put my attention in my heart and think love creates me in my perfection. Then I let my mind wander. Then again, in my heart, love creates me in my perfection. So really there's nothing, you can't do it wrong. You just think this phrase and then let your mind think whatever it's want. It's not trying to control the mind, not trying to be present or anything. It's just, it's deep healing. So the mind is just energy flowing, energy healing. And I think the phrase, and then that's it. So that's all I got to do. So it's not strenuous. It's not hard. It's not, it doesn't have to look a certain way. That's it. So pretty simple and easy practice I found for myself. Thank you for sharing that. That's, it sounds also in its simplicity, incredibly powerful as as we find sometimes that the most powerful things we can do are, are relatively simple and harder to do, but so powerful. What, what are other common myths about meditation that you'd like to challenge, that you'd like to put other information out there into the world about? Yeah, I think one, the issues of system that I practice, um, it helps us connect with emotions. A lot of people think with meditation, like, okay, I can't think my mind has to be blank. Well, that's impossible. If you're not thinking you're dead. So, (laughs) so the mind is the mind, the mind will say different things, but in this practice, we cultivate an inner experience of peace and love that's deeper than the mind. So now with the practice I've done, I'm able to be a witness to my mind, an observer to my mind. Sometimes my mind thinks the same thoughts but now I don't have to believe it. So it's almost detaching from my mind. Another thing is just in society in general, we think we need to quote unquote control our emotions. And no, we need to allow emotions to flow. We need to allow ourselves to feel our emotions. Emotions are uncomfortable. And from since we're little kids, they tell us, okay, don't cry over that. It doesn't make sense. Or stop throwing a tantrum. Don't be mad. That doesn't make sense. Or a lot of times for boys, it's don't cry. For girls, don't get mad. Not always, but stereotypically. And the thing is that in the training I did, we were learning that 
logical thought is in a different part of our brain than emotions. So sometimes we try to logically think ourselves or out of our emotions or analyze our emotions. I shouldn't feel this because X, Y, and Z. I shouldn't be mad at this person because it really wasn't that bad. I shouldn't feel this way or I shouldn't be sad over this or I shouldn't still be sad. Well, guess what? Emotions aren't logical. We're humans and we're emotional beings. And all we need to do is feel. It's just like any, any natural part of our body. If we don't feel, it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. But if we stop, connect, allow ourselves to cry, find a way to move the energy of our anger, then whew, it's an alleviation. Reflecting on, on your experience and, and what you've heard from others as you've been with others and taught others, are there any reasons you think meditation might feel especially difficult for those with eating disorders? What, what advice would you give to somebody perhaps interested in starting a meditation practice that's struggling with an eating disorder? Yeah, good question. So I can't speak much on other practices, both the practice I do. One of the struggles is since it connects with emotions, a lot of times people with eating disorders have a lot of deep-seated emotions. So anytime you are dealing with tough stuff and you have to go in and do your own healing and start to feel those uncomfortable things that you've been avoiding for so long, it's uncomfortable. And so it's always important to have support, to have support when you're feeling those emotions and because it's hard to do it on your own. And one thing that I really found from my awareness with my meditation I do through the eating disorder recovery is to be gentle, to be gentle with oneself. And I think I was able to gain the awareness of my thoughts and how I can treat myself internally. I'm not sure if without the meditation, if I would have had that awareness, but I was able to see the huge importance of being gentle because when we pun in our mind, punish ourselves or judge ourselves for doing something, the behavior will continue. But when we're loving and compassionate and kind and treat ourselves like a kid who's learning how to walk, you know, a kid takes a step and they fall and you don't say, why'd you fall? You say, great job. You took a step. Okay. I'm going to hold your hand and we'll get up together. And now we're going to take another step. So if people with eating disorders can learn to be internally loving and gentle and treat themselves like that kid learning how to walk, the process will not only be a little bit less miserable, but I found in my experience is that symptoms actually little by little started to lose their power when I was being more kind of myself. When I was being violent and judgmental and all my attention was there on how off I was that I continued to do this and when will my last binge be, that grew. When I was focusing on being loving and compassionate and kind to myself, that grew. And one of the principles of the issue system is actually what you focus on grows. So when I was able to focus on loving myself and that being the primary focus, instead of my primary focus, the when will I heal my eating disorder, I actually was able to grow this experience of compassion with myself and little by little, the eating disorder lost its power. Wow, thank you. We often 
you know, we, we ask this question of almost everybody who shares their recovery story. Thinking of people who might be listening right now or, or thinking about kind of engaging in, in recovery supports, however that looks as a service, any words of comfort or support you would give to somebody listening right now thinking like, I, this is beautiful, but that's just not possible for me. What would you say to that person? Be loving. Be loving with yourself where you are in this moment. No matter where you are in your life, in this moment, you deserve love. So give that to yourself in this moment, no matter where you are. No matter if you've recovered, if you're just starting, whether you feel this is debilitating, whatever, your deservingness, your worthiness of love does not change. So be kind and gentle with yourself as you are in this moment. A lot of times with the journey of self-love, self-love is kind of a buzzword. Nowadays, we start to see like, oh, self-love looks like this. Self-love means being recovered. Or people will be like, self-love means having better habits. Self-love means changing. What I've learned through the practice of Ishijin system, and I've had learned specific tools to choose giving myself love in this moment, I've learned that self-love is acceptance of how I am here and now, whatever that is, whatever action I took, whatever I'm struggling with, whatever thoughts are in my mind, it's okay here now. I love myself now. And I understand that. I mean, I struggled with so much stuff that I thought would never end. This is not possible. And I found my freedom through loving myself and being gentle and compassionate and being that person holding the little kid's hand, holding my own hand in each moment. And sometimes I felt like this is impossible. I'm going to feel like this forever. I'm going to be have this gray cloud of misery over myself forever. How is this going to end? And it's like, you know what, Katiri, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this will ever end, but I love you in this moment and choosing that from moment to moment. Wow, thank you. I would, I, I think, I hope our, our listeners would love this. I know I would love it. Uh, can you send us on our way with a guided meditation? Can you demonstrate with us and bring us into a bit of a practice as we close our time together? Yeah, I would love to. So with the Ishijit system, there's the unification practice that I kind of shared where you can just let your mind wander wherever. And then also we use um, the present moment awareness exercise to bring us into the present moment. And it helps us in the mind is all the, the self-torture, the worries, our fears are in the future and our sufferings in the past. And that's all in our mind. Here now in this moment, everything's okay. And if we truly come into this moment, we realize that the past and the future is where the suffering is. And here's now I can feel peace. That's another thing, learning to do this practice, even within my torturous eating disorder, I was able to find, okay, I don't know when my next binge will be, but in this moment I can feel okay. And that was so liberating. So I'd love to share this. So in this practice, we do the present moment awareness exercise, which is like mindfulness, plus inserting the phrases that are the high vibrational, unconditional love phrases. So I'm gonna use the phrase, love creates me in my perfection. 
Now you don't have to believe this or think it's true. Your mind can say, I'm not perfect. Okay, just keep thinking it. It works. Trust me, it works. It's changed my life. Don't change the order in the thought. Um, don't change the order of the words. Just think it as it is. So in this exercise, we use our five senses to experience this moment. As humans, we live almost all of our life from our mind, thinking, 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 instead of fully living here. And we're always here, fully living this moment. And the amazing thing is when I'm fully in the moment, I can perceive the immense beauty that always surrounds me. So we can start, let's close our eyes. And especially when you first start practicing, the mind will wander. If you're thinking, it's because you're alive. So that's perfectly okay. But just have the intention to observe your thoughts as if you're watching the sky and clouds going by. Okay, that's the cloud going there. Okay, I went off and with that cloud a few miles down. Like I, I got hooked in this thought. Okay, I'll come back gently into this moment. Okay, I, I wandered off in my thoughts again. Okay, gently, lovingly, I can come back. And that's okay. That'll happen many times. Let's close our eyes. There's nothing we need to worry about. All that we need to do right now is just be here now. We have our eyes closed, but we start to be a conscious observer of the present moment through our senses. Even though our eyes are closed, what can I see? The darkness on our eyelids, maybe shapes or colors. I just simply observe. And I put my attention to the center of my chest and my heart and think love creates me and my perfection. I just continue to gently observe what I can see even though my eyes are closed. Now I'm just gonna use my sense of hearing to observe whatever I can perceive in this moment. My voice, I just listen. Experience this moment through my sense of hearing. Just observing the sounds I can hear. And I drop into my heart and I think love creates me and my perfection. And if I wander off into another moment, that's okay. I just come back to my body. I can think love creates me and my perfection with my attention in the center of my chest and use my senses to observe this moment, to become a witness of this moment. And now I just note what I can smell, what I can taste. Now I observe my feet. Maybe I can feel my socks or my shoes or my feet resting on the floor. Just observing what it feels like. I can observe the temperature, the air. Maybe there's a breeze from a fan. I observe my ankles my calves, my knees, 
I just observe what it feels like to have my clothes up on my skin, my legs, my hips. I can feel myself supported on a chair, my torso, my back, my shoulders, arms, elbows, wrists, palm, and my fingers. I drop into my heart, gently put my attention into my heart, which is the center of my chest. And I think love creates me in my perfection. I can observe my neck, my chin, my face, my head. And I come back to my heart and think love creates me and my perfection. And now I have the intention to use all my senses to just observe this moment, what I can feel through my body, what I can hear with my eyes closed, what I can see in the, my eyelids, what I can taste and smell. Love creates me and my perfection. Just using my senses to experience this moment. Now I'm going to observe my breath, the air coming in and out, my, my muscles as my, I expand and contract as the air comes in and out. Maybe I can even hear the sound of the air coming in and out of my nose and mouth. Just breathe a few times, just observing my breath. Our breath can always bring us present to this moment. And in this moment, everything is okay. I'm going to put my attention in my heart and think love creates me in my perfection. And I'm going to just observe my heartbeat. Maybe I can observe beats throughout my body, maybe in my wrists or my neck or my ankles. Love creates me in my perfection. And now, little by little, we're gonna slowly open our eyes to incorporate our sense of sight. So we're still gonna maintain present, we're still doing the exercise, but now we're gonna add our sense of sight to this moment. What can I observe? What can I see in this, the room around me, right in front of me? But as at the same spot, simultaneously, we continue to observe, what can I hear? 
What can I smell? Can I taste? What can I feel? What can I feel within myself, my breath, my heartbeat? So we think love creates me and my perfection. And I just use my sense of sight along with my other senses to observe this moment. And if I wander off in my thoughts, I can close my eyes, come to my heart and think love creates me in my perfection, use my senses to become present, when I'm present, open my eyes again. Because often our sense of sight is what most distracts us. Love creates me and my perfection. End of exercise. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. And thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story and your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you too so much. I really appreciate this opportunity and everything you do. So thank you. I really enjoyed this. You're welcome. So did, so did we. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.